Uh, thanks so much for welcoming here, and it's always great to be here and see what God is doing here in Chico and with my son and daughter-in-law and seeing my grandkids and all that. That's just so, so fun. It's nice to see all of you as well. So um, tonight, we are going to be talking about the wake that you leave in life. You can put the first slide up there. Uh, we all kind of motor through life, and coming behind us is a wake. And that sometimes is irritating to people. If you have a canoe close by, you might tip it over. Uh, to others, it might be a blessing if you're wakeboarding uh, and those kind of things. But whatever you do, it is, um, you're making that. Whether you like it or not, you're making a difference. There's things happening behind you. And your reputation has a lot to do with that, what people think about you. What I want you to be thinking about is, you know, what would people say about me at my funeral? What would people say at me at the end of my life? What did my life count for? What difference did it make? Who have I impacted? What have I done? What is important in my life? And that's just something I want you to be having in the back of your mind as I talk today. We're going to be talking about some things that uh, God says are very important. Uh, now, as you think about reputation, we might think our wake is, is just making sure that everybody knows that I always dressed perfectly. I always had my hair just right, or I always did, you know, that might be, or other people, they look at it and they, their, their legacy, what they're looking to do, what they're giving their life, or the wake behind them is success and money, the things that they collect. There's a passage of scripture, it's in Luke 12, that I want to read, won't go into in detail, but it's a great story. Um, Jesus, this was Jesus himself speaking, he told this parable about somebody in the wake that they were leaving in their life. He said, uh, he told them this parable saying, uh, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then I will store all my grain in my goods. Next verse. And then, uh, and I will say to my soul, You ever talk to your soul? You'll say to your soul, uh, Soul, you have many good things laid up for you for many years to come. Retirement, retirement, thinking about that. I'm, I'm not thinking about that. I don't like the idea of a retirement. But anyway, uh, you, you have uh, many good laid up for many years. Uh, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But, now here comes the kicker in it. Uh, but God said to him, you fool. That's something you don't want God saying to you at, towards the end of your life and whatever you have collected and done with your life. You don't want that to happen. Uh, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own all that you have prepared, all that you have collected throughout your life? So, the man who, uh, so is the man who stores up for himself and is not rich towards God. So just think about that, think about your life and those kind of things. Think about what is important. I had a friend in Brazil, I did some training in Brazil, and his question was always, it was a good question. He always go up to people and he'd say to them, hi, I'm, what was his name, Carlos, I'm Carlos. What's important? <laughs> he'd ask me, what's important? It was, a, it was kind of a good question. Oh, what's important? And they go, what's important today? What's important in my life? What's important? Uh, but it's a good question. Some of the people, um, one, one guy came up to Jesus one time and he asked Jesus, what's the most important command? What's the most important thing God wants us to do? And many of you may have heard this verse before, but it's a famous one. He's telling us what are the important things in this verse is here. Is, um, 
Jesus answering again. These words are ones that we good to memorize if you haven't memorized them yet. But he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, right along with it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In one word, what's important is love. Love for God, love for others. Love filling your heart for those around you. The wake of your life being people who have been well-loved in your life. That's what is going to count in the long run. And uh, looking at the, the wake again, one side, love for God. One side, love for others. Thinking about that. Now, when you talk about love, when we think about love, it's, uh, it's sort of confusing in our culture. Kind of what is love? I mean, love, we love ice cream. We make love. We, 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 we use it in all different kinds of ways. And I think what's especially confusing is for us males is what love is and what love is like. I think in American society, I think the females have made most of the definitions of what love is like. And it has to do with flowers and candy and romantic stuff and gushy stuff and emotions and all that kind of stuff. Now, I have never been really good at that. Every few years, an anniversary, I'll try to write some stupid poem or something for my wife over here, or buy her, buy her something. But, uh, but it's, it's always never comes natural. It's not kind of like what happens to me. I just don't express it that well and that easy. I might beat myself up for that for the, over the years. But as I've studied the scripture, I found that, that Jesus' definition of love and the apostles' definition of love was not something that a man can't do. Women can do it and men can do it. It's kind of equal opportunity at that point, I guess. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's, there's a couple things about how he, defined, he described love. It had to do with commitment. We can all make commitment to things that are important. It has to do with obedience to God. Jesus is going to say that. It has to do with sacrifice laying down your life for other people, serving. Those can be choices. It's not just always have the emotion. I don't think Jesus had the emotion, oh, I just want to go to the cross and die for these people. I mean, he did not want to go through that pain, the, the physical pain, the spiritual pain of separation from his father, the emotional pain. You know, he said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That was some of the highest expression of love you could ever have, is, is making a choice to lay down your life and give your life for another person. And, and so, so we, we just get confused about that, but I want to look at a couple of scriptures to help clarify some of that confusion. John 14, 21 says this. It's coming up there. I'm just going. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it says, uh, those who accept my commands. Now, these are the commands of Jesus. And we'll look at what those are in a second. Uh, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. This is love. This is something we can do. We can make choices to obey what Jesus Christ tells us to do. Because, uh, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal, my, reveal myself to them. This is what we want. We want God to reveal himself to us. We want him to, to show himself to us. We want to experience God in our life. Not just have some faith in God, we have to, but we want God to 
to deal with our lives and be in our lives and see how he works in our lives. And so this is, this is one of the promises here. And that's how we can love God. Um, this um, next passage uh, is this, what, what does love for God practically look like? That's the, the, the other verse there is this, this is, this is my commandment. Love, love, wait a minute, that was not right. What, <laughs> I, I, I'm a typo, my, my fault, I'm probably on this. What does love for others look like? And we're getting into now love for God and love for others. Love for God has to do with keeping his commandments, love for others. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, it's not just love as yourself, but he's putting a higher standard. Love the same way I loved you. And this is what we are to do. Uh, there's no greater love uh, than to lay down one's life for their friends, uh, for one's friends. It's this sacrifice, this serving, this giving of your life to others will be the thing that will help leave that wake in your life as you move forward and as you move on in your life. Now, one of the things that's interesting in Scripture is that God judges our vertical love for him by our horizontal love for others. As he looks at how we treat the people around us, that's showing that we really love God. That's the evidence he looks at. And that's the command. That's the focus. Look at this next passage. Uh, this is in John. He was one of Jesus' closest followers, the one that he called himself, the one that Jesus loved. He had a really close relationship with Jesus. And he says, if someone says, I love God, and a lot of people like to go around, I love God. They're religious, and they all have this whole vertical thing kind of going on. They say, I love God, but he hates his brother. If the relationships are not right horizontally, he's a liar. He's probably even fooled himself. He thinks he loves God, but he's not really loving God. He's been deceived if you're not loving those around you. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment, we have from him that the ones who love God should love his brother also. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of say we love God and be religious and even memorize a verse or have a quiet time. We can do those kind of things. It's tougher to love your roommate when they're leaving the, leaving the socks on the floor. <laughs> when they don't never do the dishes, they're leaving them all for you. It's harder to do that when somebody, when one of your, one of your friends kind of slips out and they talk about you a little bit behind your back to really love them when they're not saying something nice about you or they're not. It, that's where we're really tested. When Jesus was mistreated all the time, but he loved. We're gonna love others as he, we need to love our enemies, those who aren't treating us just right. Those who aren't doing all the things that we want. If we get honest with ourselves, this is where Christianity really hits the road for us, is in those relationships, especially with the ones you're closest to. Like your parents, when you go home, some of you this summer, uh, remember, your love for your parents is going to reflect your love for God. It's going to show what's going on. And just your brothers and sisters, people you work with, your boss, how you talk about your boss when you work in that job, and uh, what is it, flopping tacos? <laughs> I said the last time, whatever uh, that you had. You know, the last time I was here, the guys who remembered that, so I thought I'd throw it in there again. Uh, 
uh, but anyway, uh, that's what you do. You flop tacos. <laughs> he worked. He worked at uh, Taco Bell and flop tacos. When, when, so when he was in college. Uh, so, uh, but laying downtown now. I want to keep on from here. Now, we talk, okay, I think you've probably got the idea that love is the big issue, right? Love for God and love for others. But now, what's the, the most important and urgent way we can show love for God and love for others? That comes down to what you might know in being called the Great Commission. That first verse we looked at, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that's the Great Commandment. This is the Great Commission. And notice what it says here about that. And again, Jesus, at the end of his life, a verse, again, I hope you're very familiar with or you become very familiar with soon because this is his major leaving command for the task that he wants us to be committed ourselves to while we're on earth. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the boss around here and everything is here. I'm the authority of heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey or observe all I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's going to be with us. Now, this is a command that he's going to... Now, if we obey that command, we are loving God. Because, see, God loves those people who need to become disciples. If you're not a disciple, you're not saved, you're not going to go to heaven, you're not committed to him yet, and you need to be rescued. The most important thing you can do for somebody who needs to be rescued is rescue them. (laughs) And to help them to know the gospel and to come to Christ. I I, I tell a story, this this is kind of a uh, interesting story where we were, my, my sons were young. My youngest son was just learning how to ride a bicycle. And we were driving along this, uh, uh, this path. And there was a, it was, a, it was a deep sort of, it kind of went off and it went into this, uh, what would you call it? A kind of a creek, kind of a muddy, creek, drainage ditch kind of thing. But it was fairly deep. And uh, he had just learned, he's four years old, just learned how to ride the bike. And he knew how to go real fast, but he hadn't learned the brakes thing yet. <laughs> And so he was going on, and the thing kind of curved, and he didn't curve. He didn't, he didn't know how to put his brakes on. He just kind of went right off, right down, over into that water. And not only going in the water, he went all the way under the, butt, the bike, in himself, went all the way completely in the water, completely submerged. Now, I was over kind of trying to get these other guys out of trouble, and Diane, my wife over here in the front here, she was the only one there. She, she, she saw Joey kind of just go under that water and didn't come up. And so she had a choice to make. What's she going to do? So snakes and all, and all that grubby stuff that was in that water, she just didn't hesitate, just jumped right in to rescue her son. Okay, and pulled him out, and he was all right. And even got the bite back, I think. <laughs> but, um, but see, you know, because I love Joey, he got rescued. That gave me even more love for Diane. She rescued somebody that I love. When you rescue people that God loves... That pleases God. That makes the father very happy. Okay? Because that's the most important thing to him is that he fills heaven with his children. Does that make sense? And then, and then also it's loving to help Joey 
get rescued is pretty loving too. He didn't have to die then. Go to heaven early. <laughs> but, uh, and so... <laughs> And so, but for the person, I mean, the most loving thing you can do for somebody else, all the stuff you could do for anybody else on this campus is to do your part, fulfill your part in helping that person come to Christ. If somebody is a prisoner of war, what's the most loving thing you can do for them? Send them flowers and candy and nice Valentine with a little heart on it and blow kisses to them? No, that's not how you love them in that situation. You love them by rescuing them. You go on a rescue team. You, you get dirty. You jump in with the snakes and you do, you do what you have to do to help set them free. Right? We think, we think, we think love, we, we think of rescuing somebody, we don't think of love. We think of bravery and all the other good stuff, we don't think of love. But really, that's, that's love. To risk your life. To sacrifice. To help someone. To move that next step towards Christ is one of the most amazing ways you can love someone else. Now, if you think about the rescuing thing for a moment, you know, in the Navy, there's a group of guys called the Navy SEALs. There's a couple of them going to my other son's church that we go to down there in um, uh, San Diego. But you know, the Navy SEALs, they get a lot of press like that, but they're only 1% of the Navy. But, and they're usually the ones that get to go in and do the rescue things, get the POWs out and stuff like that now. Um, but uh, prisoners of war, that's what POW stands for, those of you that don't know the term. Uh, it, it, but they, they go in and, but you know, it takes a whole bunch of people. It takes the other 99% of the people in the Navy to help the Navy SEALs be able to perform their task. My point is that we all have a role. You may not be the Navy SEAL, you may not be the front line, but you have an important role as you work together using your gifts and abilities God has given you for one purpose. And that purpose is to help make disciples of all nations, to rescue people, to help people come to know Christ and gain eternal life in their lives. And we can all be a part of that. We don't have to be the one that, uh, that does this role or that particular role, but we can all do our part and do our role in that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 kind of explains this. Um, in this passage. Now, the, the point here is to fulfill your role in making disciples of all nations. And in this passage, uh, Paul was a, the great church planter who planted lots of churches, probably influenced Christianity more than any other person besides maybe Jesus himself. And, he's, and he says that, that he, God, gave some to be apostles. Those are people who start churches kind of one after another. Uh, and, and prophets. He gave some as, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. And now look at the purpose. The purpose is this, for the equipping of the saints. Now, whether you know it or not, you're a saint. You don't have to be Catholic and have died a long time ago to be a saint. <laughs> you, are, you, are a, you are a saint if you're a Christian. That was the New Testament term, one set apart for God. New Testament term for Christian. Uh, for the equipping of the Christians, the members of the church, for the work of service. And what's the work of service? The building up the body of Christ. The building. When, when you build something, what do you do when you build something? You take the different pieces of something. I should have had a, some little toys here, something I could have built, but I had some Legos or something. But, but when, you, when you build something, you take pieces from here and you put it here and take a piece from there and you put it here and you take a piece from there and you put it here and you build something. That's what we're doing when you're building the body of Christ. 
you are helping put it together. You are winning people to Christ and then you're cementing them together into units like ministries like this on a campus or church, local churches or small groups. But you're building the body of Christ. That's what you are to do. You are to be a part of that process of Christ's construction team. Maybe different roles, but you're all part of that, that process in building something. There's one story in, uh, from this, the San Diego uh, church that I'm kind of in the background kind of helping out as a dad. My son's planting it. He's the pastor. But um, they've done an outreach a few months back, maybe three, four months ago. And uh, there was one guy, right, their, their church is right next to a campus. So there's a lot of college students that are kind of coming to it. And there's one guy that decided he was going to come to the church. And so he walked, his parents dropped him off at the bus or something, and he walked over, and he, was, he came by the church. I happened to be outside being the greeter that day and kind of watched him. He, and he, was, he kind of kept walking back and forth on the street in front of where the church met. But he wouldn't come in. He just kind of walked back, and he walked forward, back and forth. He was just deciding he was going to do it. He'd never gone to church before. He was a completely unchurched kid. And, um, and so, but then finally he went back, and he started walking away, and I thought he was going to walk. So I, I ran and caught up to him and said, oh, did you want to come to church today? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so he came, and he, and he came to church. And when he, when he came into church that day, the Lord just touched him. And uh, the greeters, the name tags, all the refreshments, all this stuff happened. And then the, the message touched him, and he became a Christian that day and committed his life to Christ, got baptized a couple weeks later, shared his testimony with the church. Uh, we, were, we were taking him home just the other night um, uh, from some event we were having, and his mother came out, and his mother is, is not, a, not a Christian, his dad's not a Christian, but she said to me, oh, I'm, thank you for bringing him home, but, but thank you for being a part of this thing because we have seen such a change in Alan's life. He's so much happier now. He's so much more fulfilled. And it's just kind of like, and the, the point of that is not so much that I just chased him down to get him to come into church. That was a, a little part of the, the process. But there's so many people that work together to provide that environment for him to hear the gospel and to be accepted and loved and welcomed and, and to have the place set up and all we have to set curtains up all around this gymnasium to make it look decent and all that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of work. Yeah, you got some curtains. They have them all around, <laughs> even more than here. And, uh, and so it, 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 it's a lot of work. A lot of people have to work for that to take place. And so that's kind of what I thought. So as we're looking at what's our time getting to be, okay. Um, and then the last question is this. How hard is it to leave a wake of love? Uh, on one hand, it's very hard. Um, in fact, it's impossible because you and I, on our own, are hopelessly selfish. We live life for what's in it for us. We're looking for what's in it for us and how is it going to benefit us. It's all about us if we're really honest. That's our heart. That's our old nature. That's our old heart. That's the, the biblical term, that the, the flesh in our heart. Uh, but, you know, the good news is is that God is a heart transplant specialist. He can change the human heart. The core of your being can be changed by what the Bible calls the new covenant. The new covenant is when the Holy Spirit, when you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, comes to live in your life, and he gives you a new heart, a new nature, with the law of God written on it that wants to do what God wants you to do, that wants to obey what God says to do. And that's, uh, uh, so that is a starting place 
for having that strength and ability to do it. You have the right motive. The motive is here. The motive for loving others, loving God and loving others, is this. We love because he first loved us. This is a good verse to memorize. That's short. <laughs> it's also really powerful. <laughs> you can get that one. You can start adding that up. But anyway, we love because he first loved us. We don't love to get God's love. We love because we've been loved by God. Now, God does love that, and he reveals himself to you when you do that. But, but, the, but the motive for our love, for our obedience, is not to get saved, not to, to, plead, to, to make God happy, is that God loves us, and we, out of appreciation and out of gratitude, want to love him back. And the best way to love him back is to love the people here back and to love the people around us back. That's one of the, the real keys. So that's the motivation we're looking for. Matthew uh, chapter uh, 11 and verse 29, Jesus makes a, a, a wonderful statement. That, uh, I, just, I just love this one. He says, uh, uh, he's talking to him first. He goes, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, anybody that's really struggling in life. But then he says this, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden, the burden I give you, is light. Jesus is saying that he has made you to carry a yoke. Now, that's not the yellow thing inside the egg. That's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's, uh, it's something that, that gets put on an oxen, and it gets hooked up with another oxen, a horse like that, and it helps to pull a load. I mean, that's what, the yoke, that's what a yoke is. And... Uh, they understood that back then better than we do now. But, uh, they, but it, it, it's the, God has a certain responsibilities for you that is perfectly fit for you. And you are, you are able to carry that with his power, with the Holy Spirit within, within you. You're able to carry that. And that's when you function best, actually, when you're carrying his yoke. You know, I've driven U-Haul trucks before when we've moved a lot. And one of the time moving, uh, I had to drive the truck from the place and it wasn't loaded. And it just bounced and bounced and bounced. It, just, it, was, it was terrible riding in a U-Haul truck with nothing in it. But you load it up with a bunch of furniture and stuff like that and it just sails right along. It doesn't bounce. We are made to carry a yoke. But you have to have certain attitudes in carrying that yoke. And that yoke that you're to carry, um, the attitude you can have, he talks about here, uh, he, says, he says, be a learner. Be a lifetime learner. Keep learning and learn two things that will help you love. If you want to leave a wake of love, that's what we want to do, right? Leave a wake of love for God and for others. Then learn two attitudes. And you can really only learn them well from Jesus. Learn humility because love is not proud. It's not arrogant. You learn humility and you learn Gentleness, or the other word for that is meekness, a word we don't use much, but it's a word that means strength under control. It's, 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 not, it's not a weak word. It's a strong word, but it's a controlled word. It's like a stallion, a wild stallion that's been broken, and now all that power, just all you do is tap it on the side, and it goes wherever, wherever it wants to go. It's, it's meek. It, it surrenders to the master. It does what the master wants it to do whenever the master wants it to do it. That's, that's that word gentle. Here. It's strength that's fully under control. So learn those things from Jesus. 
Paul summarized in his life by the, in this way. He says, Paul, again, is that, uh, not this Paul over here, this Paul that wrote a bunch of the Bible. Uh, it says, uh, not that I've already attained it. You see, he, didn't, he wasn't proud. This was the end of his life. Not that I had already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. End of his life. He'd been at it for years. He'd planted churches and written half of the New Testament practically. And he said, not that I let hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, all my accomplishments, that plants the church, that plant all God. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I press on towards the goal, towards the calling. Um, uh, for which God has made. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect. You see, to have a perfect attitude, you've got to realize you're not perfect. <laughs> the perfect attitude is I need to grow. I need to keep developing. I need to keep learning. I need to keep, I, I got more humility to learn. I got more uniqueness to learn. I hadn't got that together yet. And that should be your attitude throughout your whole life. He says, but as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if anything, if, if, if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you also. You don't want that to happen. You don't want God to be showing you where you are proud. You don't want to be humbled by God. Um, but brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So learn. One of the ways you're going to be able to leave that wake is to be that lifelong learner and learn these attitudes. I'm going to close with one final verse, and that's, and that's in John uh, 7, 37 and 38. I think this is one of the best invitations to come to Christ as I, that I know of. It's him speaking himself. He's speaking to a large crowd, so this applies to everyone. And he says, first of all, he says, um, on, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty... If, if any, even tonight, if any of you, I want some of this. I want more of, of God. I want to connect. I want to experience him. I want to know more of that. I want more humility. I want more meekness. I want to I love more. I want to leave a better wake. If you're thirsty for any of that, then Jesus says, come. Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So, We've got to come to Jesus for this. If you want the rivers of living water, you've got to come to Jesus. Secondly, you've got to drink. Now, drinking something is tricky. Now, it can quench your thirst. If it's good water, like this is, I hope. It does well, quenches your thirst. I'm glad I drank it. But if uh, Justin over here slipped a little bit of cyanide or something in there, when I wasn't looking. <laughs> I hope you didn't do that, or I'm going to be, not going to be finishing this message, okay? Um, then when I drink, I'm making a commitment, aren't I? I'm receiving this into myself and making a commitment. And if it's poisoned, I'm poisoned. I'm done for, right? See, what are you saying to come to me and drink? Is you're making a commitment. You're giving your life to Jesus. You're believing in him. You're not just saying, oh, yeah, God's up there somewhere. But you're, you're making a commitment. You're depending upon him. You're committing yourself to him. And then the promise of Jesus is, if you do that, from your inmost being 
shall, shall flow those rivers of living water. There will be a power that will allow you to make the wake. There'll be the power that, that, that comes from your life that will motor you along and from your life will come a wake of love for God and love for others. What lake, what wake will you leave behind with your life? Your life here in college, your freshman, sophomore, senior year, whatever it is, your wake when you go out from college with the team you're on, with the fraternity you're in, with the dorm you're in, what kind of wake are you leaving? Are you going to leave a wake of just thousands of beautiful pictures on Instagram? <laughs> are you going to leave a, a wake of, of just a room full of trophies? Are you going to leave a wake of just a big barn or a big house? Or are you going to leave a wake of people who have been loved well by your life? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room, and I just pray that you would help us to, to love well. I pray that you'd help us to, to leave a wake that makes a huge difference in the lives of other people. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you loved us first, that we can love others. And we pray that you would use us, make a difference, help us to love people well around us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.